This morning we're going to not be back in First Peter, although I am teaching. We're going to be talking about a special topic that is related to what Alan and I shared with you last week. So what I'm going to do, I realize I emphasized a lot last week as I was speaking something that had struck with me, if you recall, that where people are worshiping demonic forces. And it occurred to me that it had been a long time since I've actually talked about the theological underpinnings of that years ago. It goes back to 2010. I actually preached in the evening service. But before that, as part of the beginnings of my message in Hebrews, I did some side roads. I, it was longer than I thought. It was five weeks where I talked about angels. And I talked about good angels and what they do. But also I talked about fallen angels. And it occurred to me, particularly in light of what I said last week and in light of the fact that I know many people who are here weren't necessarily a part of things in 2010, that it would be good for me to speak a little bit biblically about this idea of demons, who they are and what they do, so that we have a proper perspective even when we're praying and thinking about the people who are more outwardly influenced by these things. So that's what we're going to do. But what I'm going to do today, because we were not able to do it as much uh, before, we're going to start today by praying. If you're a regular part of your group, we know we break into our small groups to pray. If you're visiting with us, these are not anything where you should feel excluded. You can join whatever group is near you. We're just sharing one another's burdens and we're praying for one another. So what we're going to do today, I'm going to open for the word of prayer and then we're going to do our group prayer time. It says 912, so let's try and be over here no later than 935. And then I will go through my teaching just to give you a reminder and an overview of this idea of demons so that we don't have an unhealthy fear nor an unhealthy fascination with these created beings. So let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege we have of being a part of your family. Lord, it's hard for us to fathom when we look in the mirror and we see who we really are. We see past a reflection that other people see and we know what goes on in our hearts It's hard for us to fathom that you would send your son to die for us. But we say thank you. We thank you that he paid the full penalty for our sin, that we will never be condemned because of our having placed our faith in the shed blood of Jesus. There's no condemnation in us. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We marvel. And we thank you that because of our shared faith in Christ, we can gather together as your people in this place called Lakeside. Lord, we realize we're just one small part of the universal church, but we thank you for this small part where we go to be fed and nourished and cared for and where we lift one another's burdens up to you. So we pray that today would be a profitable day as your people as we're gathered together to serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started. In the context of what we have been studying, as you know, if you're part of the class, we've been going through First Peter, and it's interesting that at the end of chapter 3, I spent some time dealing with a challenging and mysterious-looking text that dealt with different things, but one of the things it dealt with was fallen angels, demons, demons who are imprisoned. And I spent some time, as you recall, when I was teaching through that, jumping around and showing you what I think the best understanding of that obscure and a little bit difficult text is, 
based on some references in Genesis and based on some other references in Second Peter and also some references in Jude. But as I mentioned then, that was not an issue to divide on, but it was just me talking about what was in the text, and what was in the text was talking about demons that were imprisoned, angels that were imprisoned, and so it was interesting that that was where I was, and that is what I had just completed. And then, as I mentioned to you last week, being back from the trip, perhaps even more so on this trip than the prior trip, caused me to spend a fair amount of time thinking theologically about what I was seeing with my eyes. Particularly when the brothers came over, they live in a world that's very different from ours, not just because of poverty, it is poor, but they live in a world where I believe my best understanding of things would be that Satan operates differently there than he does here. And I know at times, if we're not careful, we can hear things like that and it can sound a little Hollywoodish. It can sound like a movie or something. And I don't want us to get sidetracked by that. And I don't know what all the men will share tonight. I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm not one of the people speaking. You're going to be hearing from some of the men that were on the trip. But I started thinking it would be good to go back through and just remind you when we're talking about demons, if you hear reference to people worshiping demonic idols, to have the right perspective on it. And so... From my starting point, I just want to go over some basic truths. I'm going to reference a lot of scriptures. I don't have enough time to go into every scripture. If you would like more information, I could give you a copy of my notes, or at least I can give you a copy of the scriptures in my notes. You could look it up on your own. Also, again, you could go back and you could hear this in its full form. I taught it, I think, in February of 2010 in the evening service. So if you look around online in the Lakeside website, you could find that message with all of the detail. But in the context of how I would approach things, I read a long time ago a good theological definition of angels. Written by a theologian, it's not my definition, And it's consistent with scripture, so I'm just going to start, and this will be sort of the starting point. It says, angels, talking about angels, all of them, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. That's a good definition that I think makes good sense of what we see in the biblical text. Now, that doesn't mean... At different times, angels can't manifest as human. We see that many times. And likewise, we see in the Bible over and over references to demons possessing humans, meaning going in and indwelling them such that they, in essence, are taking control of their bodies. But in their abstract, all angels, good or bad, are spiritual beings. They have moral judgment, they're not robots. They apparently have the capacity to think. They're very, very intelligent. And it goes without saying, and we'll talk later, they're very, very powerful. But they, in general, don't exist in the material world like we do, even though, with God's permission, they can manifest themselves like that. Now, I start out with something very basic, but I can go back to my childhood, and I can think through my childhood, and I realize that Satan... And demonic forces are actually very, very prevalent in our culture, but in a benign way. What do I mean? I loved cartoons when I was a kid. 
What do you see even on Bugs Bunny? Somebody goes down to hell and there's Satan with a pitchfork and there's some dancing demons bouncing around and it looks kind of funny. When I was a kid, that was a big deal at Halloween. Everybody would sell a little mask or you'd buy the little trident or you could dress up that way. When I came into junior high and particularly in high school, the movies started really being big. Now, The Exorcist was really big back in the 70s, one of the top grossing movies of all time when you adjust for inflation. That was all about demon possession. And what's happened is in our culture, it's become such an ingrained part of things that we understand if we're not careful and most of culture thinks of Satan and demons as really just a Hollywood fiction because we're kind of numb to it. We know that the little pitchfork dancing demons in a cartoon aren't real And it's almost lulled our entire society asleep. Now, the anti-supernaturalistic bent we have is one thing, but even amongst people who believe in God, you have people that are getting away from this idea that Satan and demons are real. I had read a statistic, and I didn't go and update it, but something close to 60% of people who identified themselves as Christians did not believe that Satan was real. They thought it was more of an idea of evil. Now, granted, I don't assume all those people who identify as Christians are genuine Christians. But these are people who would call themselves Christians. And up to 60% of them, when you add in the various groups, thinks that he's sort of a, a symbol of evil. Or at least maybe that's probably close to what he is. And yet the Bible makes it clear that Satan is very real. And it makes it clear that demons are very real. The word Satan, or what we translate in English Satan, is found in 14 Old Testament verses at least. I was doing computer searches. Eleven of those references are in the book of Job, where we see some of the dialogue between God and Satan. And the Hebrew word translated Satan in our book just means adversary. And that's a good description. That's what he is. He's God's adversary. We see that in the New Testament, the word Satan is found in at least 33 verses. The word devils in another 32 verses. The word devil would mean slanderer or false accuser. Again, these are all descriptors. Every person who wrote part of the New Testament references Satan existence. Now, he's referenced in 19 of the 27 New Testament books, but every person who wrote at least references his existence. And what should have ended it, and again, these counts are things I did, not scientific precision, but Jesus references Satan at least 25 times himself, which at that point should be the end of the debate for somebody that follows Christ. And yet we live, and you live... In a society where Satan is just completely ignored. If he's used at all, it's in some kind of bizarre rock star something or other that attracts misguided little young people. And demons really fit in the same category. This idea of demons sneaking around and hurting people, nobody believes that, do they? Yet the Bible, over and over, uses the words demons at least 18 times in a singular form. At least 42 verses uses it in a plural. 
And Jesus over and over interacted with demons. I still remember before I was saved, when I read the Bible, one of the things that always jumped out at me was the demons knew who Jesus was. It just was striking that they knew him. So when we go on a trip and we see people offering sacrifices and we see idols every few feet where people are worshiping different demons in America, and here's what you say about it. Well, those poor backwards people. They're so unsophisticated. They don't have any knowledge of anything. Boy, it's not bad enough that they're poverty, but they're, they're stupid. How sad. But that's not the case. Satan and demons are real. What we saw over there was real, but I'm going to make clear to you, it's real here too. So Satan and demons are real, but Satan and demons are just created beings. That's an important point. They're real, but they're created. Why is that important? I know growing up, and again, my experience growing up is not the barometer, but I don't think it's that abnormal for somebody else that grew up in this culture going to school. I had the idea that Satan was God's equal opposite. In other words, God is powerful and great, and then Satan's over here, he's powerful and bad, and they're equals, and they're in this knockdown, drag-out battle. I was actually reading something by C.S. Lewis for the first time, really struck me as to, even after I came to faith, I still sort of loosely held that idea. That there's God on the good side, and there's Satan on the bad side, and they're battling it out. And that's not true at all. There's God, then there's Satan. That's it. Satan is a creative being, and all the demons that followed after Satan, they're not on the same plane as God. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. The demons are not. But again, our popular culture can infect how we even view biblical stories, and I hear believers at times talking about Satan as though he's omnipotent, as though he can do anything And he is powerful, mind you. I'm going to talk about that. But he's not God. Neither are the demons. For example, in Colossians 1.16, it talks about the creation of everything. Talking about Christ, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's just a way of talking about the angelic realm. All things have been created through him and for him. That just makes it clear. Satan and the demons are not on some special plane off by themselves in some eternal realm. They were just created beings who chose to rebel against God. It's another interesting aspect of this, and I just say it in a broader sense. And again, this is an overview type perspective. But when Satan and demons were created, they weren't created bad. We don't have a cosmic timeline to show exactly where in Genesis the fall occurred. But at the end of the creation days, God saw all that he had created and it was very good. So Satan and the fallen angels, who we call demons, at one point had not sinned. Now it seems that they sinned very early because by Genesis chapter 3, Satan's on the prowl. He's already seeking to destroy the creation. But again, Satan and the demons were just a part of God's creation. They don't exist outside of it. They're a part of creation. 
And we have to always remember that God is all-powerful, Satan is not. God is sovereign, Satan's not. Now again, Satan and demons are real. They're created beings. And when they fell, it was because of sin against God. There are a bunch of references in Scripture that seem to perhaps talk about Satan's fall and what was going on. But there are a couple of things that are clear. Number one, there was a fall. Luke 10.18 expresses it this way. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I think it's just a picture of seeing Satan being cast out. And his character is vile and wicked. John 8.44. Jesus talking about Satan. He was actually rebuking religious leaders. But he said some truths about Satan that we should process. You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So from the very beginning, when Satan decided that he wanted a place that was not for him, he has murdered and he has lied and he's been on a rampage and it's infected all of humanity. We don't know the specifics of the very first sin. I think there are some allusions in Isaiah that would suggest that what Satan wanted was the place reserved for Jesus Christ. There's a throne on which Christ sits now, and I think you could glean, and I wouldn't be dogmatic, but I think you can glean that what happened was Satan saw the exalted position that the Son of God had, and Satan wanted that position. I think that's even wrapped up in part of the temptation where Satan was basically saying, look, I'll give you everything, just worship me. Because he wanted the praise that only goes to God the Son. I think that's wrapped up in what Genesis 3, the temptation that Satan laid before humanity. Very significant to me if you look at how we exist now and the ongoing efforts to eliminate the need for God, it all goes back to Genesis 3. Satan said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I think Satan wants to be like God and he's not. And that was the ultimate downfall of man. Look, be like God without following God's rules. There's another reference in the book of Ezekiel that I won't get into in Ezekiel 28 that I think might be a picture of Satan. But the reality was Satan was, I believe, a powerful and beautiful angel who became puffed up with pride didn't like his subservient place in God's cosmology, and so he rebelled and said, I'll do it my way. I've alluded to this many times in different teachings. You could see this in Revelation chapter 12. But Satan, and I still, I can't grab, I can't get my mind around this. 
when Satan fell, according to Revelation chapter 12, it looks like a third of the created angels. And there are myriads of myriads, ten thousands of ten thousands. There's unbelievable numbers of angels. And they were all in the presence of God. All of us want to be in the presence of God. We look forward to the day. We've placed our faith in Christ. We realize we don't have a place in front of God. But, but I think we all, and it's right to think this, can't wait till we're there and we can just bask in his glory. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more dying. Our joints don't hurt. We aren't sore. We aren't tired. We're just there, basking his glory. Here's what is amazing to me. The fallen angels were already in God's glory. And Satan's powers of deception were so persuasive that in the very presence of God, he was able to convince a third of the angels to look away from the glory of God. That's a good liar. I've been around some good liars in my life. (laughs) I mean, as a lawyer, that's just part of an occupational hazard. I can't even comprehend that. That standing in the presence of God, you could look away from his glory to follow a liar, and yet Satan was that much of a deceiver. So again, just putting in perspective, Satan and his demons are real. They're just created beings. They're not on the level of God, but they are powerful. They fell because they sinned against God. And the Bible makes clear that's one of the references in Hebrews chapter 1 is that Jesus didn't come to die for the angels. They fell and there's no hope for them. And the Bible does make it clear Satan is their leader. I don't know what that looks like. I don't want to know what it looks like. But he seems to be the authority over all those he deceived. That's why the Bible refers to him at times in phrases like the prince of the power of the air and different things that would seem like he's in charge and he is in charge of those things. And the next point is something that really came to mind and I want to address carefully because this is where Americans have been numb to sleep. Satan and demons are active foes of God and his people. And not just in West Africa. And not just in these far away places where we with our sophistication say those poor people. Satan has a worldwide presence. He's not omnipresent, meaning he can't be everywhere. But when you have a third of a massive number of angels that fell... That means there's plenty of room to scatter out and observe the entire globe. Ephesians 6 and 11, written to believers, says, Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's a worldwide issue because there's believers on every corner of the globe. It's an odd expression because there are no corners on a globe. I don't even know why I said that. (laughs) I think I conflated the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. Anyway. All the way around the world, there are believers. And Satan and his demons are actively opposing those believers in every location. Again, I think our sophistication and our fascination with 
science has caused us to ignore the biblical realities of what Satan and his demons can do. For example, I believe Satan and his demons are responsible for many murders. Not every murder, but many murders. That's what Jesus was saying. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. I always think it's interesting, and I spent a lot of time in the book of Job at different points in my life, particularly when I was going through hardships. And Job chapter 1 contains the account where Satan was dialoguing with God, and Satan wanted to show God that Job wasn't really a righteous man like God said he was. And it's interesting because God limited Satan and said, you can't touch Job. Eventually, he said, you can touch him, don't kill him. But at first, he couldn't touch Job. And yet, what we see when Satan went out is that Satan was allowed, in essence, to kill all of his kids. That's murder. He did it through some natural means. Talks about fire falling from heaven. Talks about evil people coming in and attacking talks about a great wind that wiped out a house either because the wind happened or because the house was weakened. But the point is this. Satan killed a lot of people. He still kills a lot of people. We're just blind to it. First Peter 5, 8, we're not there yet. We'll get there. But there's a reason Peter gives such a strong warning to believers. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is an active foe. He's as active in America as he is in West Africa, even though it looks different. I mean, I am always, as a parent, when I read texts like Mark chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, a parent comes to Jesus, in essence, is asking for help because the boy had a demon that was throwing him into the fire and throwing him into water. I think we would look at that and we would say if that had been successful, the kid committed suicide. How often do we read about that? I don't doubt some of that is demonically influenced and inspired. So they murder. Satan did murder. Satan does murder. And Ultimately, he lies. He's the father of lies. He lied in Genesis 3. That's what he does. He's the father of lies. And demons do that well. That's why in 1 Timothy 4.1, there's reference to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's not stuff happening out there. That's stuff happening inside of churches. And here's the part that I think is most relevant, and I don't pretend to have super secret knowledge. I just go by the Scripture and I look at the world. So I read what the Scriptures say, and then I look at the world around me. And it says in 2 Corinthians 11, 
talking about false teachers, 13 to 15, it says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. I was just talking about that. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. When we're walking around Nigeria and you see you know, feathers taped to a wall and you see people with their altars where they've been burning stuff and bleeding stuff, we look at that and we think, okay, Satan's active here. I see it. It works there. If you do that same thing here, everybody would laugh and say, eh, it's not a big deal. I think Satan is doing things just as wicked as that here. He's just disguised as an angel of light. If Satan walked in this church right now, I'm assuming based on Scripture, we wouldn't know it. He'd be one of the nicest looking people here. He'd be one of the best dressed, most eloquent. And he would know the Scriptures better than anybody here, which makes him so dangerous. Part of what was burdening my heart of wanting to share a little bit more about this is, again, we see the pictures, and I see the pictures, and I'm walking around seeing it, and it's a horrific thing. And you could get the idea that, boy, it must be bad to live there because Satan's doing so much bad things over there. And Satan's doing all the same things here. He's just doing it with a smile. And we're probably paying him because he's controlling some company somewhere that's helping out finance his nefarious deeds. The most dangerous thing to me about Satan and his demons is their knowledge of the Word of God. Why is that? Because by and large, Christians don't know the Word of God. Praise the Lord for a church like Lakeside that's trying, the elders are trying their best to teach you the Word of God. I think you have access to more Bible knowledge and more Bible teaching than most people in most churches anywhere on the planet. Pastor Steve for going on 40 years, has been faithfully doing something that's looked down upon, which is opening up the Bible and going verse by verse by verse. One of the tragic things, and we're not legalists, so we never take attendance and say, you didn't come to enough services, but it is sad that church is just an option, even at a good church like this. Well, I got other things to do. We need every bit of teaching there is. I've shared it before. Someone once in a meeting that Steve and I were in was criticizing Steve and said, all you do is teach the Bible. <laughs> and and they, were, they meant it as a serious critique as to why they were going to go to a different church. They needed something more than that. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's the scary part about Satan is in America, and I think most of the time, the issue is not somebody sacrificed a chicken. Although that's a wicked, evil thing when it's done for demonic reasons. In America, it's just misleading people about what's the Bible really say. I always am fascinated again. Satan could deceive a third of the angels right in the presence of the glory of God, and they followed him. Satan, talking to the Son of God, tried to trick the Word with the Word. Think about that. My brain just snaps. I can't comprehend it. Jesus is the Word, 
And yet Satan used the word in his temptations. Over and over, quoting the scriptures, but distorting it. Debbie and I watch the, the show about Scientology all the time. The Leah Remini, whatever. Um, it's fascinating because they're in our back, you know, they're in, they're in our back backyard. They're deceiving people. Right and left, they're deceiving people. The Mormons were in the news because they were changing some rules from their missionary. They're deceiving people. They're adding to scriptures. They're leading people astray. Groups like that are a little bit easier to spot. I think Satan's leading more people astray, not through those groups, but by people in churches that call themselves Christians. Staffing them with people who teach the Bible but twist it a little bit. You ever wonder how so many pastors can stand up all over the country and say there's nothing wrong with engaging in homosexual behavior? Let me take another step. The number of churches, and I said this a long time ago, Christians lost the battle for sexual purity long before homosexual marriage was legalized when Christians started getting divorced for any old reason. And pastors said that. I agree. Go ahead. I'm not throwing rocks at you if you get a divorce. That's not my point. My point is this. Satan can do more damage from the pulpit than just about anywhere else in America. So we've got to be careful because he lies, but he lies awful close to the truth. The best liars aren't the people that try and convince you there's somebody hiding on the other side of the moon. The best liars are the ones that convince you to doubt what's right in front of your eyes. So Satan and his demons murder. They lie. They certainly tempt people to sin. But we don't need that much help because we already have a bent to sin. But I do want to emphasize Satan and demons have the ability to perform supernatural acts. What we would call miracles. Mark 13, verse 22, talks about false Christs and false prophets. And they will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. What does that mean? It means some of the people that are claiming to work miracles are, through demonic powers, doing supernatural things. That's why it makes me nervous, and I'm always on guard for this myself. I believe the Word of God more than I believe my eyes. I pray that I'll always be that way. Why is that? Because Satan can counterfeit just about anything. Okay, well, good. Did I just witness something supernatural? You might have. It doesn't mean it's always from God. I hear so many false teachers on TV talking about this miracle or that miracle. First of all, I think most of them are lying. But there's absolutely no discernment that if you saw something miraculous, is it of God? Because Satan is deceiving all the time. That's why Christ is warning the elect which is us, be careful because those signs and wonders are designed to lead you astray. Does God work miracles? Of course he can. But just because something supernatural occurred doesn't mean it's always from God. I'm not going to go on another rampage about these people that they had a dream or they saw something and so they're writing it and everybody, all the Christians are just flocking to it. Why would you? 
knowing that Satan is a deceiver and that God's already given you everything you need for life and godliness, why are Christians running after this miraculous story and that supernatural event? You've got to be careful. Probably, I've never seen in Safety Harbor, it may be there, which is where I live in Safety Harbor, I've never seen a hut where somebody's actively sacrificing to idols. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that satanic forces are at work in my community. Now let me end with this because I'm about out of time. This is the most important thing I'll say. Satan and demons operate under the authority of God. Period. God is sovereign. Read again the account where Satan was talking to God in Job because what you see is that Satan couldn't do anything without God's permission. Interesting. Jesus, in talking to Peter, specifically said, he called him Simon at the time, basically Satan sought permission to sift you. Here's the point. If you know Jesus Christ, you should be aware that you have an adversary, the devil, who's pursuing evil against you, but you shouldn't live in fear of that. You shouldn't be in terror of that because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus if you're his child, which means all of the things about Satan and his demons are real. We need to be alert. We need to be on guard. But we don't need to live in terror. That was the flip side of when I was first saved and I started reading things. I started getting scared. Well, is he going to wreck my car? You know, am I going to get this? Is it going to be a false accusation? Am I going to... You don't need to worry about that. God's sovereign. God's in control. Nothing enters any of our lives that it doesn't come through the hands of God. And God's given you all that you ever need to resist the devil. James 4, 7 and 8. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 John 4, 4 was where because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's the reason for the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. To make sure that we can stand firm. So we don't need to cower in fear and worry that Satan's lurking behind every tree. By the same token, we need to be alert and aware that Satan could be lurking behind every tree. We live our lives and we move forward. But don't ever think that all of this is make-believe or just something that those poor people over there in that part of the world are deceived by. Because Satan is alive and well and he's working here. The hope for us is he's already defeated. And if you're a child of God, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And there's no place where Satan can take up residence where God dwells. Praise the Lord for that. So let me just encourage you. Know the Scriptures. If Satan deceives you, it's probably going to be with somebody twisting God's Word. If you're God's child, that's his only hope. He's already lost you. You're going to heaven forever. You win because Jesus wins. But Satan would still love to
to diminish your usefulness on earth, and he'll do that through twisting the word of God. So take advantage of the privilege God's given you here. Learn the word, know the word, and come back tonight and see how God was using the word in your brothers and sisters as we took the word to Africa. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll be back and we'll continue into First Peter chapter 4. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another day where we can come and worship together. Lord, I pray that all of us would be aware of the schemes of Satan so that we can resist them. Lord, I pray that you would protect our church and each other from the lies of Satan. I thank you for Pastor Steve and his faithfulness to the truth for all these years, Lord. And I pray that as we have the privilege of hearing from someone rightly dividing the word of truth, we wouldn't take it for granted, but we'd be here eagerly week after week waiting to be fed the truth so that when we're confronted with a lie, we can reject it. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One final thing. If anything I said causes you to be interested or curious about things, let me encourage you, don't go and study about Satan. Go study about Jesus. Spend your time focusing on our Savior.